Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of life, for the sunshine, for the breeze, for the fellowship, for so many things. And now as we talk about starting transplants, we, um, we just ask for your wisdom and guidance, ask that you would help us to get through the material and um, just ask for your spirit to guide and direct in our words and thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is, this is kind of, I don't know, formatted funny here. Everything is squished together, but I think you can see everything well enough. Um, starting transplants, this is, this is a key. Both, I am assuming that that you all are pretty much home gardeners is that correct how many well let's see how can i ask this um anybody who's not a home gardener raise your hand okay alan i'm wondering why you're here alan um but okay yeah so i i'm going to try to keep this fairly basic and and not that I know a whole lot more than what I'm sharing here, but just trying to make sure that somebody who's never done this before um, is able to to gain something. Let me just ask you: How many of you have tried growing transplants with with unsatisfactory results? <laughs> Okay, I kind of suspected that. So what, what are some of the unsatisfactory results? Speak up, I can't. Death. Death. Yeah, well that's pretty unsatisfactory. Slow growth. Poor germination. Damping off, at least you know enough to know what it's called. Okay, that's good. So we're going we're gonna to look at those things. But first I want to just, I don't know, you probably can't read that. But here's a quote from the Youth Instructors, August 16, 1900. The cultivation of the soil, the sowing of the seed, the care bestowed on the seed by the sower represent different stages of Christ's work for the soul. First appears the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. So as we sow our seeds, um, I, I just want us to keep in mind the spiritual lessons to be learned there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a miracle that you never want to grow old to see plants German, seeds germinate and grow. So just quickly, why use transplants? Well, I, you know, you wouldn't be here probably if you didn't have your reasons, but transplants lengthen the growing season. They ensure a full bed. You know, there's nothing that, well, I, I really dislike a patchy bed because for a market gardener, that's, that's money I'm not making anytime there's a skip in the bed. So by growing transplants, I can ensure 
and you always grow a few extra if you know something eats some off you can fill it in and so you ensure a full bed it's it's making the most use of your space and that's kind of what I said here it helps you use your garden space more efficiently a strong healthy transplant is better able to withstand pests and disease compared to direct seeding um, gives you a huge jump on the weeds I, I don't you, you don't want to underestimate that you know I think probably all of you have had the experience you you tell up the garden in the spring and you plant a bunch of seeds and you come back a week later and it's like okay I know they're out here somewhere amongst all the weeds right why is it that weeds always grow faster than your garden seeds um, there's a few exceptions to that but by by planting transplants you can cultivate immediately you know you know exactly where your plants are it's huge and also back to the other one better able to withstand pests I don't know if you've had this experience and it seems to be for me at least especially with beets um, you, you direct seed beets and you go out a few days later and it's like oh they're coming up you can see them coming up and then you go out a few days later and it's like wait a minute I'm sure there were beets right here and they've just disappeared um, well we've learned a culprit this year well no actually last year the goldfinch has has the nickname the salad bird and they decimated us this fall our beets our swiss chard even full-grown swiss chard they're just pecking the leaves and totally ruining them for market so anyway that's getting off the subject but um, the point is transplants help to offset a lot of these challenges why grow your own transplants well you can save a lot of money in the long term you can get the exact varieties you want you can, I, I think you can grow better quality transplants than you're going to buy at the store um, and and this is key you're growing and planting on your schedule not when the box stores have the plants you know if you want to grow early or later many times they have lots of plants in the spring but in the fall if you're getting into fall gardening it's like well where do I get my plants they don't have them um, if you're getting into succession planting you have to grow your own transplants and it's fun it really can be fun so let's talk about the three biggest challenges as I see it from my own experience and from talking to others number one spindly or leggy starts how many of you have experienced that okay number two damping off we talked about that and this well we'll talk more about it in a minute um, plants just keeling over and dying it's like what happened and then the lack of balanced fertility in my mind these are the three biggest challenges for market gardeners no problem and the good news is well I, I said market gardener the three biggest challenges for gardeners 
The good news is the solutions are pretty simple. Isn't that a, a breath of fresh air to hear, you know, any that were in our strawberry seminar yesterday, I think we, we convinced everybody not to grow strawberries because of all the challenges of growing strawberries. But this is pretty simple solutions. So let's just go through these. And let me just say, when did we start here? 1045? So it goes to, my goal is to get through this part in the first half or so, and then the second half of the class, I want to talk about the specific methods we use for starting transplants and even demonstrate here if all goes well. So those are the three challenges. You've seen this kind of thing, leggy starts. The solution is simple. The, your plants are not getting enough light. And sometimes it might be related to too much heat, but it's almost always a lack of light. And they say, well, but I've got them in the window. Window cells never produce enough light. Don't ask me why, but I've never seen anybody be able to grow strong, healthy transplants in a window sill. Are you saying you do grow them? We do, but we have a really big window. Okay, really big south-facing window. So I guess it can be done, but rarely do people have the ideal setup for that. Um, so the solution is simple. Use fluorescent shop lights, and this is a key just this close to your plants. You know, a lot of people may have it hanging up here, and that's not doing anything. Um, it's got to be close, almost touching. And then as the, as the plant grows, you raise it up. You know, you can get very simple setups. And let me just tell you right now, before I forget, there is a handout on the website that I did with a lot of details, with links and a lot of details about how we do it and how you can do it. Links to, to making a grow, uh, a light stand and all kinds of stuff. So try to take advantage of that handout on starting transplants. So that's really the solution. Now, I will say LEDs, that's the way things are going now. I do not have a lot of personal experience with LEDs, but I know that they work. What I, what I have, I think, been able to figure out is the LED light is more intense, generally speaking, than like a fluorescent light. So it doesn't have to be as close you may be able to have it six inches above the plant or something. Again, I have not, you know, because I have my fluorescence, I haven't switched over to LEDs yet, but that's the way it's going. And of course, you can buy fancy LED grow lights, which they use a lot in the cannabis industry and stuff. Um, those are very expensive. 
but then you can just get simple LED shop light kind of things, much cheaper. And um, even with fluorescence, you don't have to have special grow light bulbs. Even standard fluorescent bulbs will do quite satisfactory. Um, so, and this varies on what you're growing, but if you're growing your heat-loving crops, you know, like your tomatoes and peppers and stuff, you want to germinate them at quite a high temperature, you know, 75, 80, even 85, somewhere in there. Um, and by the way, you all got Johnny's catalogs in your, your bag of goodies. Johnny's is an incredible resource, and it's not like we're getting paid by Johnny's or anything to endorse them, but their catalogs are almost like a textbook. For every variety of seed in there, they have a little chart showing you the ideal temperature for germination. So incredibly helpful information and a bunch of cultural information also on each seed variety. So it's, it's a very good resource, even if you don't buy your seed from them. Okay, so anyway, if you're growing those heat-loving plants, once they get germinated, you can cut back on the temperature some, which will help to keep them from stretching. Does that make sense? Um, they won't grow as fast at lower temperatures. Okay, so that solves your leggy starts problem. Simple enough? Give them more light. It's on the website. Yeah, I, I mean, I like to have physical handouts, but I got the idea that they weren't encouraging that. It's, it's a lot of work for the programming committee to do all that. So anyway, it's on the website. Also, one other little thing, petting the plants can help to stiffen their stems. With your tomatoes, plants, you just go out and, good morning, how are you today? And you just pet them a little bit, and that's, that's good for giving them stronger stems. Okay, let's go off to damp go on to damping off. <laughs> causes. What causes damping off? Well, it's a number of soil-borne fungal species. Um, this is the big key for my observation. Overwatering. I'm convinced more transplants are killed by overwatering than anything else. Um, and or lack of proper air circulation. So we'll look at things we can do for that here shortly. Poor soil drainage. Um, you know, and again, that has to do with watering, but if, if the soil's just staying too damp, then damping off makes sense that that would be the, you know, damp soil causes damping off. Cool soil temperatures. The organisms that, the fungal organisms that cause damping off um, thrive at lower soil temperatures. So that could also be a consideration. 
And back to somebody saying poor germination, damping off can affect both the seeds and the seedlings. So you may think it was poor germination when it was actually damping off that got the seed before you ever saw it come out of the ground. Um, Obviously, just while we're talking about poor germination, another big cause of poor germination is poor seed. If it's old seed, um, and, and that varies some depending on the crop, but there are certain crops that you really need new seed pretty much every year. Um, like the allium family, the onions and stuff, they have a reputation for not keeping their germination potential long term. So if you're going to try to store seeds for long periods of time, use a refrigerator or better yet a freezer. Put them in, in airtight containers and put them in the freezer. Okay, that's just a bonus point there. So let's look at the solution. So here you see a, a larger tomato plant with that shriveled up stem right at the soil surface. And I see people shaking their heads like, yeah, how'd you get a picture of my plant? Um, for the most part, by the time a plant gets this big, you usually don't have issues with damping off. It's usually at a much smaller stage, but obviously you can have issues at a, a larger stage. So first thing is I would recommend that you use a soilless peat or core, which is coconut husk-based potting mix. Why do you want to use a soilless potting mix? Because your soil very likely might have some of these fungal organisms that cause damping off. Whereas with a soilless mix, you know, they often sterilize it, which, you know, seems to go against a lot of of uh, tenets of organic agriculture, and that's true, but um, I would say this, if, if you have really worked on your soil and you have really vibrant, healthy soil, your soil could be a positive addition to your potting mix. But for most of us, we're not there yet, and you're taking a big risk by using soil from your garden in your potting mix. Does that make sense? So just, just go with the professional grade potting mix. Um, number two, let your soil dry out some between waterings. I know it's, it's hard to, to not water, right? You know, you've got these little babies out there and they're looking good, but it's like, oh, you look like you're thirsty. Let me give you a little water. And, and you're overwatering. So it's okay. Now, of course, once or before you see the seed coming out of the ground, you, you really want to make sure that the soil 
stays moist on some level. But once it's come up, once it's germinated, it's okay for the surface of the soil to dry out a little bit. You don't want to get it dusty dry, but it doesn't, you don't want it staying really wet. Okay? So this, uh, to me, this is the key here. Don't overwater. And, and obviously, and this is where you get in trouble with the timer. You know, you put it on a timer and say, okay, it needs 30 minutes a day, sprinkler overhead. And, um, but then you have a cloudy day, cloudy, cool day, and it's not going to dry out very much. And then you're watering when you shouldn't be. So there's nothing like um, human reason and judgment to guide you with that. I don't know. Alan, do you have your, your um, starts house automated? Okay, he's just saying that there's too much inconsistencies of watering to, to do it automated unless you're really high tech. And yeah, I would agree, you know, I spend a lot of time in the greenhouse watering in the spring. When it's full of plants, we were talking hour, two hours watering plants, but it's important, you know. And, and it's not something that I'm ready to give up to a, to a timer yet. So, you know, you got to judge. Each day is different. Keep plants and water warm. These disease organisms thrive under 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you're, you know, you're starting your plants early in the spring um, and you're up in Michigan and it's 20 degrees outside, and you're getting your water straight out of, I don't know where, but um, if that water is really cold, that is really hard on plants. So you want a way to warm it up. And, you know, obviously you don't want it hot, but just kind of lukewarm water. That doesn't sound biblical. Lukewarm. Okay. Use a small fan for air circulation. We haven't really gone to this much, but if you're having a lot of problems with damping off, just getting a small fan, and I mean small, not, you know, you don't want to be blowing your plants all over the place, but just creating a little airflow might help. Is there anything else? Okay. Last resort, um, there is a product, organically approved, Actinovate, that I have used quite a bit, and I can say from my own experience that it actually does work. Actinovate, again, it's, it's, a, it's some kind of beneficial biology. I can't tell you much more about it at this point. Some beneficial strain of bacteria, I think it is, that 
that um, is, is quite good at dealing with some of these soil-borne pathogens. The key with actinovate, though, is you have to be proactive. If you wait till you see a problem, it's too late. So you can you put it into your mix when you make your, well, I'm gonna show you how to make soil blocks, but however you do it in plug trays or whatever, you can just mix it in then or water the plants with it. It's a water-soluble solution. So I don't think most of you will have to go to that length if you just follow these other suggestions, but it is an option if you're still struggling with damping off. So you all comfortable with the solutions for damping off? Pretty simple. Back off on the watering, bring the water temperature up, get a good potting mix. Don't just go out and fill your, your pots with, with soil from outside. It, chances are that's gonna backfire. Okay, let's go on to the third one, lack of balanced fertility. So again, use a professional potting mix. You know, these companies this is their business. They are, are making mixes for nurseries, for large um, companies that that's all they do is grow transplants. So chances are they're gonna know more about potting mix than you are. So why not just stick with um, somebody who knows what they're doing? Now, I will say we made our own potting mix for many years and I, I have the recipe in that handout. It can be done and we had very high quality mix. Um, we got away from it, well, two reasons. Number one, we used the, the recipe called for blood meal and we wanted to steer away from blood meal and we could never find a satisfactory replacement for blood meal in our mix that gave us the same consistent results. And the second reason was just because it's a lot of work when you're doing a lot of transplants to make your own mix. It's definitely cheaper and you can get a good result if you have a good recipe. Um, but currently we're using Berger OM1, it's a, it's a mix that overall we're, we're very happy with and it saves a lot of time and hassle. Never skimp on container size. This is always an issue. You know, you go to the box stores to buy transplants and they have tomatoes this tall with these tiny little root balls. The only way they can get them that big is by doing a lot of fertilizing with water-soluble fertilizers because there's no way that root mass can support enough fertility to grow a plant that big. Um, that's, so the bigger the container, the less chance you're going to have with running out of fuel for that plant. Does that make sense? And again, this is one reason why we like soil blocks. But if, 
if there's a question, do I use this size container or this size, always err on the bigger side. Um, it's just, you know, that's going to be adding organic matter to your garden, so it's not like you're wasting money on potting mix. Don't overwater. You know, there are certain nutrients in the mix that are going to run, they're going to leach out. And the more you water, the faster that's going to leach out. So again, that's a, that's a call to not overwater. Um, then also there's other crops that benefit from being potted on, like tomatoes, for example. And, and we'll talk about this more here. But um, you often start them in very small containers and then take those and put them in a larger container. And you may do that, we do it often with tomatoes, two times, pot them on twice. And that bigger container gives them more root growth, but it also gives them more fertility because you're giving them more soil, fertile soil. Does that make sense? Are you all tracking? Okay. Keep your growing area warm. So there, there are a number of nutrients that only become available to the plant as the temperatures warm. So that's why many times in the early spring, plants just, you know, you put them out in the garden, maybe your brassicas or something that can handle some cold, but they're just like, Ugh. This is no fun. Um, and then all of a sudden, as soon as it starts warming up, they're like, boom, you know, they just go to town. It's because the nutrients are now becoming available to that plant so it can, can do its thing. So don't, don't try to grow transplants in the basement if you don't have any kind of heat down there because they're not going to thrive in that environment. Okay, any questions on that? So you've got your, your problems solved. We'll take a couple questions here. Does the only one from Virginia, does that supply all your fertility needs? Does the OM1 from Berger supply all our fertility needs? Generally speaking, yes with our soil blocks. Um, I have noticed that for our fall plantings, and I haven't figured out what it is, <clears throat> but brassicas that do great in the spring in the OM1 mix, in the fall don't seem to have enough fertility. And it's, I don't know, um, Alan probably could have a, a very, clear explanation of why that might be but so I have found that in the fall and when I say in the fall I'm really talking about in the heat of summer because we're planting our fall brassicas our heading brassicas first of July middle of July John, yes Yeah, that's, that's a very good 
um, theory that we're watering more in the summertime so the nutrients are leaching out quicker. That's actually a good, good explanation. So we are, we are starting to supplement a little bit with our brassicas in the summer. Okay, one other question here. Your fourth item says uh, the transplanter ideal size and size. Can you comment on that? Because it seems to me, from my experience, sometimes I've transplanted things that they swamped, and other times it's like they jumped. Um, yeah. Okay, so what is the ideal size or time for potting on? Um, I think, man, I'm, I think maybe we'll kind of hold off on that for, for the soil block demonstration because I think that will kind of help to explain it. Yeah, one more question. I, let me just see. Yeah, okay. Let's go ahead and take a few questions here because we're going to transition. Yeah, good question. So how do you start fall crops in the heat of summer? That's a challenge, and I would say don't start them in the greenhouse because it's just too hot in there. I mean, unless you have a lot of fans and shade cloth and stuff. Um, you know, they can just be started inside under grow lights or something. That's probably a simple solution. Um, once once they germinate, then they can handle the warmer temperatures, but they don't like it. You know, so that's, that's one of the big challenges of fall growing is getting the plants through the heat of summer to the fall where they just, they love it. You know, all of a sudden they'll just take off. But, you know, yeah, start them in cooler temperatures, give them lots of water, don't let them get water stressed. Um, kelp, I think, is a great thing. The kelp spray, you know, that, that is, a, is a good thing to, to help keep them. Um, what would you, they're not thriving, but help keep them surviving until the weather cools off. Okay, any other questions? Yes, back. Okay, will leggy starts um, make it? That's a good question, and, and it depends on the crop. And um, yeah, it, there's, there's a number of variables there, but you know, one good thing that many of you probably know about tomatoes is if they're leggy, you just plant them deep. Or, or plant them on their side and, and then turn it up. So, you know, tomatoes are one of those plants that you can, you can recover from leggy transplants. Others, I don't know, it would be nice to hear from others. My, my experience is they may make it, but they'll never thrive. They just yeah, it, it's just, it's hardly worth planting leggy transplants. That's my experience, other than tomatoes. I was going to say, I've actually had that happen, make a new set of transplants, and they, they outdo 
Okay, so somebody's sharing that um, starting over, the, the new ones can often outpace the old ones. Yeah, it just compromises them somehow, and they just don't thrive. Yes. The what mix? The vegan mix. Oh, vegan mix? Uh, down-to-earth vegan mix. I'm not familiar with it. I don't know where you get it. Is that an actual potting mix or a fertilizer? You, it's, a, it's a fertilizer. Yeah, you could certainly try, you know, you can try, do your own experimenting with a, with a potting mix. Um, you know, part of it is what's readily available in your area because... Shipping, of course, can get very expensive, especially if you're doing a lot of it. So it's good to look around and ideally go to some organic farmers in your area and say, what are you using for starting transplants? And maybe you can even buy some bales of potting mix from them. Question here, and then one more back there. Um, where do we source it? Well, we have a nursery supply place a couple hours away from us. Um, yeah, so source it as close to home as possible, that's for sure. But actually this year we're actually getting a half a tractor trailer load drop shipped to us straight from the, um, from the manufacturers. So um, you can get about a hundred of your gardening friends and go together on a half a tractor trailer load. Um, okay, we need to move on. So what's worked best for us? Soil blocks. They, I'm convinced, nobody has ever been able to convince me otherwise, and I could share lots of stories, that they produce the highest quality transplants. They have more soil volume than most um, transplant containers, any kind of plug trays. And of course that soil volume means more root volume, it means more fertility, it means healthier plants. There's less root shock when they go into the garden because there's, they're not, the roots aren't being bothered as much. Um, it's a modular system that I'll show you here quickly. It's simple and sustainable. You know, it's, it just seems much more wholesome than buying stacks of plastic, you know, throwaway kinds of trays that you get with a lot of things. Um, the, the soil blockers are available from Johnny's selected seeds and they also are on Amazon although when I looked this last week they were out of stock with some of them on Amazon I, I think you all are aware that man you got to be on top of things right now because everybody's getting into gardening there's going to be shortages of all kinds of things so um, yeah Make sure you plan ahead. 
I'm going to skip this just for time's sake. This is a fun quote from Education, page 111, that talks about, I'll just point out the, the italicized part. She says, the attention required in transplanting that not even a root fiber be crowded or misplaced. That is kind of my, my argument for soil blocking because I think that that does that better than any other method. But I'm not trying to tell you that this is the only method that works, um, you know, or that it's the only God-approved method. I'm not going to say that, but it works well. And I think especially for home gardeners, there are a lot of arguments against it from a market gardening scale because it's more labor-intensive than doing plug trays or other kinds of starters. But for a home garden scale, that's not so much of an issue, right? You're not, you're not doing thousands of blocks. And so I highly recommend it for home gardeners. For market gardeners, we still use it, but there are a lot of market gardeners who say the benefits don't outweigh the, the negatives, you know. So rather than uh, let's see tell me again when we're stopping eleven forty-five. okay so i think rather than going through more slides we're going to try to just demonstrate this and this is something i haven't done in a live class before so bear with me here i don't know how this is going to work but let me just show you these soil blockers first. Sorry to whoever has to clean up this place. Um, this is the mini blocker. This makes 20 tiny little blocks. And this is used for starting your heat-loving plants. Either heat-loving plants or those that take a long time to germinate. So what are your heat-loving plants? Tomatoes, peppers, basil, eggplant, specifically those four. And then your long time to germination would be celery and um, parsley, those kind of things. We start them in this. And the, the beauty of this is for the, for the heat-loving plants, you can put a lot of plants on a heat mat and start a lot of plants. I can start 800 plants on a, um, the heat mat I have, I guess is two feet by four feet, 800 starts on that one thing. And, and that's a great advantage of, of the little ones. And then what happens, and kind of back to your question about when to pot on, so basically with, with these mini blocks, well, let me say first that this requires a, a finer potting mix than we would use for the bigger blocks. So we actually use an OM2 for this. OM2 mix, which is a finer mix. I have some of it right here in this bag. And um, 
Now I forgot where I was going with this. Oh yeah, so as far as potting on, basically as soon as it's germinated, um, as soon as you see it coming up, and of course, you know, the, the germ- they won't all germinate at the same time, so I usually wait, you know, a day or two until pretty much everything's germinated. Now one little trick, the seeds that take a long time to germinate are going to be less vigorous plants. So, you know, it's easy to think, oh, well, I'll just wait another day or two, try to get these last ones to germinate. Again, usually that's a waste of time. And again, I'm trying to figure out the spiritual lessons there. (laughs) Haven't quite figured it out, you know, the whole culling idea. Um, But anyway, I'm sure it's there somewhere. But just your, your, your first plants to germinate are going to be your most vigorous and hardy plants. So then from this, you can go up to this. This is a two-inch blocker. And this actually has the three-quarter inch inserts. You see that? So you're making a block that has the perfect size for these little ones. So you literally just, you know, plop them in like this. You know, traditionally, growers have uh, seeded like tomatoes in a flat, just seeded a bunch of tomatoes, and then it's called pricking. They're pricking out individual seeds and you know, the the roots are all intertwined and stuff. And I I think this is just so much easier and better. So this is the two-inch blocker. Again, you can have these three-quarter-inch inserts, or you can have just a standard dibble insert like this. They just pop in and out. Um, And this this is the inch and a half blocker we use this one and and this is in the slideshow here but i'm just i'm choosing to demonstrate rather than finish the slideshow so you can go back and look at the slideshow later on Um, we use this for things like lettuce uh, even kale and collards the heading brassicas we use the bigger two inch blocks because we keep them in the block a little longer. So the size of the transplant is really all dependent on the size of the block. And as far as potting on goes, basically you pot on when you see that the plant, the roots have kind of filled in the block, so to speak. Before, you don't want the roots, the, the, they're, they're air pruned with this. They come to the edge and it's like they're feeling, oh, there's nothing out there. So they just kind of stop. Whereas with, with a container, they get to the edge and they start circling and then they get what's called root bound. Um, so this helps with that. But, but even with this, they'll get to the edge and they're like, oh, what do I do? I just sit here. Um, and then eventually they will start 
going into the blocks next to them. But um, ideally, you want to either pot on or plant into the ground kind of you don't want to interrupt the growth of the roots. Does that make sense? So as soon as you see that they're getting to the edge of the block and are poised to keep going, pot them on or plant them out. And that's usually, these usually will hold the plant about three weeks and the two inch blocker will hold the plant for about four weeks. That's a general, you know, obviously there's differences from plant to plant. Um, now, for tomatoes and peppers and eggplant, we go a third step. And there's actually, I'll just jump ahead here. Uh, well, I guess I don't, well, I had a picture of the four inch blocker. Where is it? Oh, I guess it's back here. See this big one here? That's done with a four inch blocker that has a two inch hole. So you can, you can go from the three quarter to the two inch to the four inch. It's all very modular. For a home gardener, the four inch one would be a good option, although it's kind of expensive. These, these are about 30 bucks. They come from England. Um, you know, I feel like that's pretty reasonable costing. Uh, but that four inch blocker is like a hundred bucks. So you may not want to go that route. And actually we have gone to the six inch pots because it's a lot faster when you're growing hundreds of them to block one at a time was just a bit much. And I will say they have stand-up versions of this for market gardeners. So we're not using these little ones, you know, rather than doing five at a time with the inch and a half, we do 20 at a time. And four at a time with the two inch, we do 12 at a time with a stand-up blocker. But it, that's overkill for home gardeners. Okay, let me just see. Oh yeah, so we pot on to these big pots for getting the best jump in the spring. And one little tip, I'm sure many of you have struggled with eggplant and flea beetles. You all know about flea beetles. You put a little eggplant out in the garden, chances are, you know, depends where you are in the country, but that, that eggplant will be decimated by flea beetles. But if you put it in a six inch pot and get it this big, it's hard for the flea beetles to kill it. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.